My name is Sterling. If we haven't met before, and I'm honored to be here with you this morning. We have, over the summer, been going through the book of Proverbs, and our series is called Gain Wisdom. And we've been looking at these words by King Solomon and these wise sayings and looking at these 31 chapters and asking the question, what does it look like to gain wisdom from the Lord? Where we've been so far is the first week we talked about what does it look like to gain wisdom or where does the wisdom of the Lord start? And we talked about it starts with the fear of the Lord, this awe for God. And then we talked about what does it look like to gain wisdom on foolishness? And then last week, what does it look like to gain wisdom on the topic of family? And then today, um, as Jalen mentioned, we're going to talk about the topic, what does it look like to gain wisdom on the topic of wealth? Now, I know as I say that word wealth, I recognize we all come in with different stories related to wealth and money. Whether you had money growing up or you didn't, each of us have been uniquely impacted by money. And this continues into today. Whether you're actively making money or not, whether you're working or retired, money plays, continues to play a role in each of our lives. Whether you're a college student, a stay-at-home parent, whether you're working or retired, whether you have a lot or a little, still we can be wise with our money. You know, there's a lot of topics that I wish the Bible had more to say about. Like, as Peyton mentioned, like how to structure our time with the Lord. What's the best way to do that? Or how to get a toddler dressed for church without tears. I wish the Bible told me how to do that. Or are Brian's jokes against cats a sin? Some of these will have to remain a mystery, but money and the topic of money is not one of those topics. You see, there's four times more verses in the Bible concerning money and possessions than there are actually about faith. And in the gospel accounts alone, one in every 10 verses is about money. And this remains true in Proverbs. Words like rich and poor and wealth are mentioned over 60 times in the book of Proverbs. The interesting thing is that for all that Jesus talks about money, he never actually asks for any. Jesus seems less concerned with the amount in the bank. He's less concerned about the amount in the bank and more concerned about our heart. He's less concerned about convincing you to give, though often it's a byproduct, and he's more concerned about how money can be used as a discipleship tool. So God clearly has something to say about the topic of money, and that's not any less true in Proverbs. Now, before we jump into the book of Proverbs, it's important to acknowledge that our upbringings impact how we come in this, come in this morning to this conversation. Perhaps you've heard one of these sayings growing up. Time is money. I'll rest when I'm dead. Money doesn't grow on trees. A penny saved is a penny earned. Money is the root of all evil. For me, my dad would always come back to, Sterling, money doesn't grow on trees. And I remember as a child looking up and down our backyard looking for that tree. Well, one of my seminary classes was on this same topic on money. And I remember on the first day, we all came in with our Bibles ready to look at God's word and what it has to say about money. And she did something interesting. She said, set your Bibles aside. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, before we go to God's word, I want you to know this. None of us come neutral into this conversation and this topic. 
She then invited us to spend our first couple classes actually going through several questions. She called it a money, uh, a money autobiography, learning about our own origin story with money. This exercise led me to not just individually reflect, but it actually led to me corporately reflecting, asking me, my husband some questions, then my parents some questions. And then we gathered back as a class and we shared our, our summary, our findings, and we found out how we all have different biases when we come to this topic of money. Whether we conscious, consciously realize it or not, we all come in today with different biases. Pete Scazzaro, who is a pastor and a founder of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, he said it this way. He said, we must know ourselves so that then we may know God. So before we go to God's word, I just want to take a moment to allow you to reflect for a moment on some of the questions from this money autobiography. So first question to reflect on. What is your earliest memory of money? Was it earning money, losing money, purchasing something? What's your happiest memory in connection with money? What's your unhappiest memory? Did you worry about money as a child or a teenager? And final question, as a child, what were you intentionally or unintentionally taught about money? If you haven't walked through something like this before, I invite you to do this as an exercise for yourself this week. This resource is in your resource guide, your, your worship guide towards the back under resources. We all come into this conversation with different stories. What's your story? Now that we've had time to realize how none of us come neutral into this topic, let's look at what Proverbs has to say about wealth. In Proverbs 8, as Peyton read for us, I want to talk about three nuggets of wisdoms that I want to highlight on wealth. I'll give you an overview right now. First, I want to talk about how God's wisdom is greater than the world's wisdom on wealth. Second, we're going to talk about how wisdom calls out to us and we are to seek diligently after God's wisdom about wealth. And then third, that contentment in Jesus, it brings abundance. So first, let's talk about that first point. Proverbs invites us to choose God's wisdom over the world's wisdom, over worldly wealth. Let me reread chapter, or those verses 10 and 11 where it talks about this. It says, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Then later in verse 19, it says, My fruit of wisdom is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. Now, this doesn't mean carelessness, carelessness with money. This doesn't mean that money is bad as we're choosing God's wisdom over the world's wisdom. But that God's wisdom needs to be the lens to which we look at our money. In the same way that glasses impact our ability, someone's ability to see clearly, so God's wisdom impacts the way that we spend, give, invest, save. By seeking God's wisdom first, it enables us to remember that money is a gift from God, not to hoard, but to receive and to steward well. God's wisdom has to be the foundation, the place where we start. So how is God's wisdom different than the world's wisdom on wealth? Listen to hear if you hear the difference. So the world's wisdom says, save for yourself. And in Proverbs, God's wisdom says, honor me with your wealth. 
The world's wisdom says, mine, grab hold. And God's wisdom says, be generous. The world's wisdom says, don't you want success? God says, I give you something far greater than riches. The world's wisdom says, do whatever it takes. God's wisdom says, earn a fair wage. The world's wisdom says, there isn't enough. God's wisdom says, I am enough. Do you hear the difference between the two? Let me do a couple more. The world's wisdom says, look out for yourself. God's wisdom says, look out for others. The world's wisdom says, I can bring you happiness. God's wisdom says, I offer you life in abundance. The world's wisdom says, get rich quick. God's wisdom says, be patient and faithful, and I will bring you blessing. The world's wisdom says, trust in yourself. God's wisdom says, trust in me. I am faithful. Do you hear the difference between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom? Which one, which wisdom are we choosing day in, day out? Are we choosing the world's wisdom or God's wisdom? Proverbs invites us to choose God's wisdom over worldly wealth. Nothing you desire can compare. It's better. In the New Testament, Jesus says this as well. He says, no one can serve two masters. Jesus says, choose me. My wisdom is better than fine gold. This invitation, invitation to seek God's wisdom. It doesn't just take place in verse 10 of Proverbs 8, but it's actually repeated as a theme throughout the book of Proverbs. Let me give you a couple other examples. In chapter 2, it says, look for it, look for God's wisdom as for silver, and search for it as a hidden treasure. Chapter 3 said, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she, Lady Wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. And then in chapter 16, it says how much better it is to get wisdom than it is to get gold, insight rather than silver. In Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, it says, Do not wear yourself out trying to get rich. Do not trust in your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. God knows that our love of wealth will not ultimately satisfy. Only he can do that. God says, glance at riches, but gaze at me. Gaze at my wisdom. So a great question in this text as you read it through is, is there a reward for seeking God's wisdom? In the text that Peyton read in verses 18 through 21, you might have noticed or heard how it talks about the yield, the result, the produce. And this is a valid question. Let's, let me reread verses 18 and 21 so you can remember what it says. It says, with me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. 21 says, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. In these verses, it can seem, it can sound like Solomon is saying that the wise get rich and the fools get poor. Is this the case? Sounds like a great get-rich-quick get strategy, right? As you see and hear these verses, it's important to remember that Proverbs are not promises. Solomon understands that poverty is not often a choice and is often the fault of crooked people taking advantage of loopholes in the system. Therefore, we have to look at each Proverbs through the lens of the entirety of God's word alongside experience and evidence. 
Solomon himself, the author, he actually later in Ecclesiastes says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their their income. This too is meaningless. So even Solomon, who had great riches, said that money is not enough. And he understood that ultimately wealth and money would not save him from the bondage of sin. So we conclude that the understanding of rich and poor in the book of Proverbs is nuanced and ultimately says that Proverbs uh, says that money is not enough. And we know this is true in our own lives. We know that money can't save us from a natural disaster, a stock market crashing, war, or the death of a loved one. We know from our own experience that money is simply not enough. Proverbs 11:28 says those who trust in their riches will fall but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Well as I walk back and forth to church each day, I walk along Shannon Lane right here. And as I'm going back and forth, I always try to take a moment to set down my phone, just like take a deep breath and look at God's creation around me and just notice, you know, be thankful and notice what's around me. And recently, the last couple weeks, the bushes along Shannon Lane, they have been sprouting all this new growth. And it's exciting to me because the plant is a dark green, but the new growth is this lime green color. And it just seems crazy that in the heat of summer, there's this growth. It's thriving. It's growing. And as I've been reading Proverbs, it keeps reminding me of this verse, how it says, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a new green leaf. So our first point to remember is that God's wisdom is greater than worldly wealth. And now we want to get to our second point, and that's how do we do this? It's by seeking diligently after God's wisdom. In verse 17, it says, those who seek me will find me. Now, before we unpack verse 17 and these words, it's important to also notice how the chapter 8 starts out. Because it starts in verses 1 through 4 with God's wisdom actively calling out to us. God's wisdom calls out for us over the distractions, over the noise, to not find our identity or our worth in anything else but God's wisdom. The interesting thing is this isn't a game of hide and seek. As I say, seek diligently. This isn't hide and seek. God isn't hiding from us. No, it's actually the opposite. God is actively calling out. He has chosen you, he's pursuing you, and he's calling out to you. Will you choose to seek him? And this is also the story with Jesus. When Jesus was speaking to a crowd who was anxious about their next meal, Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then later he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. Well, for me in my morning time, as I'm trying to read my Bible, I'm easily distracted by my phone. I don't know about you, but I read my Bible on a good day, but I watch my money and I open the apps every day. I, I glance at God's word, but I often gaze at how the market's doing. And I wonder what it would look like in my own life if I were to open my Bible app more than I opened the money apps. Or perhaps even a place to start for myself is just opening God's word 
before I go to the money app. So it can be that lens, those glasses of how I save, give. Um, I wonder what it would look like to sit content in the Lord and what he says and for that to sustain me rather than looking for my wealth to sustain me. Verse 17 says, those who seek me, find me. What are the places and spaces that you seek God's wisdom? What does that look like for you? The word seek is better translated. The original word is to seek diligently, to be on the lookout for. Well, over the the last year, my toddler has had one request, and that may be a dream, you might say, if a two-year-old can have a dream, and that is to have his own bounce house. Now, hear me out. We're not ready as a family to buy a trampoline, and my house, my couch is deflating, so here we are. And so as as Amazon Prime Day was hitting, I was thinking about, okay, what does it look like to seek diligently and see if this is a possibility? Well, if you haven't heard of Amazon Prime Day, it's this two-day sale a week ago that Amazon just puts a bunch of things on sale at a great discount price. So... I did my homework and I started evaluating, okay, what does it look like to make a good decision and purchase this bounce house? Verse 12 in our text, it says, be prudent, gather knowledge, make a plan. And that's exactly what I did. And so I spent time reading all the fine print, reading the reviews, looking at pictures. I measured my space. I weighed the pros and cons of renting or buying a bounce house. And then I even went as far as some of my friends, I texted the top three options and asked them, what do you think? Which one should I choose? And as I ponder and think about how much energy and effort I found to find this bounce house, I wonder what it would look like if I sought diligently for the Lord in that same capacity, where I read all the fine print, where I wanted, I was thinking about it when I woke up, when I went to sleep, where I was so excited about what I read that I just wanted to share it with my friends. I wonder what it would look like to seek diligently for God in that same way that I was for my purchase. Proverbs 3, 1 says, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands on my heart. Are you on the lookout for God's wisdom? Are you seeking it first? We are all seeking someone diligently. So it's not a matter of if you, or it's not a matter of if you are seeking someone, but rather, it's not a matter of if, but who, or in my case, actually a what I was seeking. Now, as you seek after God's wisdom, fears will try to stop you. What if God's wisdom isn't enough? What if the money doesn't come? What if the retirement fund runs out? Then what? The fears and the questions are real and they happen. But God's wisdom calls out and invites us to a different way where we're no longer defined by our pay stubs or how much is or isn't in the bank, but by who God is. And in verse 17, it also says, it says, I love those who love me. You see, our God is a God who takes care of his followers. The Proverbs invites, Proverbs invites us to seek diligently for God's wisdom, and you will find it. Well, it was, when I was an undergrad, I was a nanny, and outside of playing lacrosse and going to school, that's where I spent all my time with this family and the three kids. And one day I went to 
pick up, I stopped by the house before picking up the kids and the mom had left out some dollar bills and a note to stop by Sonic on the way home. Go hit up the happy hour. Well, I picked up the kids and told them and, and they were excited and so was I. A break in the normal routine. And so we ordered, we got to Sonic, we ordered and got all settled at that red outside table. One kid had a corn dog, one had french fries, one had tater tots. We sat down and I took a breath. And then simultaneously, they all said, ketchup, ketchup, we need ketchup, of course. And so I pressed the button, we got some ketchups. I opened up like 10 of those little ketchup packets, each one, and got them all ready. And at the same time, my final dollar bill, it was taken by the wind and going across the sonic cement. And so quickly, I went after it. And I got it. And I looked back, and the kids, their ears, their eyes, their hair, their arms, and their legs were all covered in ketchup. They had had a ketchup fight in the moments that I went after that money. And you know, one thing I learned that day <laughs> is that what I learned is that anything can be turned into a weapon. But, but really, isn't that so often the allure of money? It says, you need me. Catch me. You don't have enough. You need more. But Jesus says, I am enough. In me, you have life. Money says, if you have more of me, you won't have any worries. But Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about your life. I know what you need. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Just as I couldn't chase the money and faithfully watch the kids, so we also cannot do both. We have to choose. If we choose money, this rival God, if we put our trust in it, it will destroy you. Which is why Proverbs over and over again says, seek me first, my wisdom is greater. And as we read God's story, this larger story of God's plan of redemption, we point forward to the person of Jesus who becomes wisdom in a person. Through Jesus, wisdom is no longer a pathway, but a person. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says, Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. So ultimately, neither God's wisdom nor wealth save us. Only Jesus does. So we seek God's wisdom through the person of Jesus. God says, money doesn't love you, but I love you. And I have sent my son to show you. So Proverbs teaches us that one, that God's wisdom is greater than the worldly wisdom on wealth. Two, to seek diligently for God's wisdom. And third, our final point, is that contentment in Jesus, it leads to an abundance mindset. So one indicator or blinking light on the dashboard of your life to know or notice whether you're following in the world's wisdom or God's wisdom is to notice how tightly you grasp your money. You know, we as humans, we're gonna choose our own selfish way. And as we make money, it's just, it's natural to say, hey, this is mine. I earned this, this is my money. Each of our money, it tells a story. If I were to print off each of our transactions, it would tell a story about each of us. It would show what we love, what we make time for. And whether we see coffees or meals or appointments or stores or nonprofits or the church, it would show you what each of us, what we love. 
And Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, I did this exercise for myself just to see um, as a spiritual discipline to just look at my transactions and print them off and to notice how am I spending my money? What do I love? And what I noticed is on Sundays, it's easy, easy for me to say, God, yeah, you have my heart. I put you as center. But my wallet, it's a little more difficult to fully give all of it to the Lord. I want to hold tightly to my money. Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, many have started out to get money and found that money has gotten them along the way. So greed, this desire to hold on tightly, this sin, it leads to more of a scarcity mindset where you believe there is never enough and you always want more. And the underlying fear of greed is that there is, is having nothing. Proverbs tells us the antidote for selfishness and control is generosity. God invites us to be generous. Proverbs says the secret is not hoarding, but giving. Sounds like a strange dichotomy. Can God's abundance really be trusted in the fear and the reality of scarcity? In a world that grasps, God invites us to give. And Proverbs talks about generosity several times throughout the book. Some examples are in chapter 11, it says a generous person will prosper. Chapter 14 said, says, blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Chapter 22 says the generous will themselves be blessed. We know that an abundance mindset is ultimately, ultimately found and received through faith in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that we see God's generosity on full display. It's through God's generosity that we're able to be generous and have this abundance mindset. In Jesus' life, we see how he's generous with his time, with how he loves. In Jesus' death, we see how he generously died the death that we deserve for us. And in his resurrection, when he was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit, he took on, he defeated evil and death so that we can be connected to God the Father. And I'm so grateful that through God, through him sending his son, Jesus, we are able to receive the benefits, the blessings of Jesus Christ. This grace, this mercy, this hope, this purpose, this abundant life, it's truly a treasure. And then as we receive Jesus and we receive this contentment that he offers, money is then a tool that God uses for us to love God, love others, and make disciples. A theologian, Walter Brueggemann, he said it this way. He said, we as Christians, we must confess that the central problem of our lives is that we are torn apart by the conflict between our attraction to the good news of God's abundance and the power of our belief in scarcity, a belief that makes us greedy, mean, and unneighborly. And we spend our lives trying to sort out that ambiguity. I would argue that if we start with God's wisdom as the foundation, that's the best place to start. And then we are reminded that our money is a gift from God, a gift to steward and receive. So whether we have a lot or a little, we are still invited to seek God on how to steward it well. So may each of us today, may we recenter, may we reorient on God's wisdom found in the person of Jesus. May we experience freedom alongside contentment as we come to Jesus and recenter on him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, 
We thank you for who you are. We thank you for this great treasure found in you, found in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us worship you and not money. May we find our value in your love and not our paycheck, in your grace and not our bank account, in your mercy and not in our possessions. Lord, we need your grace. We cannot do this apart from you. Lord, we need you. Lord, would you free us from the grip and the power of money and that it has on our lives, Lord. Give us eyes to see the life you offer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.